0: Printer, and this is the Motivated Classroom. Hello, bonjour Folcha, bienvenidos, and welcome to the Motivated Classroom Podcast. A huge Guromila Mahagov. Thank you very much to everybody for being here and listening to this episode with me and being beside me and through this journey on the podcast. It has been an interesting one, and I can't believe we are now in the 70s for our episodes. I really only ever imagined it going to episode 20, maybe 25. Never ever thought I would still be in this studio a year and a half later, still recording material. So, thank you so much to everyone for keeping it going. A massive, huge merci, gracias, do gurmi you, all the ways to say thanks to all of you wonderful supporters of the podcast all around the world. Whether that's you supporting on Buy Me a Coffee or if you are one of the patrons on the Patreon page, fantastic. And if not, if you are a silent supporter who is just spreading the word and talking to others about it and asking them to listen in. Well, thank you so much to Wonderful. And there's no way the podcast would be here without all of your support and the lovely emails and the reviews you have written. So I wanted to start with a quick 45 seconds of thank you to all of you. Now, of course, this is the Motivated Classroom podcast. So we always start with a little bit of goelga, a bit of Irish to begin the day. And today's phrase, as opposed to a word, is nobby egg conch. Now we had egg conch before. Hopefully you remember that Irish words that start with egg, spelt A-G, is I-N-G in English. So egg sugru was playing, egg live is reading, egg snov is swimming and egg conch is talking. So if you say to someone no be egg conch, it means don't be talking or stop talking. And in Ireland, we often use that expression don't be to say something like, you know, ah, don't be silly. I ah, don't be talking now over him. Don't be playing over there in the corner. Come over here now. This is a very Irish expression to use don't be at the beginning of a sentence and it comes from the Irish because in Irish you say no be, don't be speaking if you wanted to say stop speaking. So there you go no be a conch is the phrase for today but of course you are all linguists so I actually want you to be a conch. I want you to speak and keep talking about the podcast to everyone so please keep doing that. Now there's been a great response to the last few episodes all about professional development and speaking to the amazing Jade Pierce and of course Darren Leslie and sharing a little bit of my experience as well as a teaching and learning research lead here at the International School of Lausanne and how we build evidence-informed pedagogy and research-based evidence into our professional development, into our classrooms and of course into our practice with our students. So thank you all for reaching out about that. Now, today we're going to get a bit more back specific to the language teacher. Now, I have to say this episode is hopefully going to be useful for all teachers, but I definitely am going to be leaning a bit more on the language teacher from my own experience. And it's about how to have a really effective but short parent teacher meeting when we have those parent teacher conferences or meetings. In my school, we call them learning reviews. So we expect the student to be there present and we do them in a very different way to other schools. We actually do them during the school day and they are in tiny little five minute blocks. So you have to be really concise about what you're going to say and have it well planned. And the student and the parents are typically both there. Now, in other schools I've worked in, they've been in the evening and you come in on a few different evenings and the parents come in and oftentimes the students are not there. And in other schools I've worked at, there was no time limit on them here. We do have specific five minute limit on them, when we held them online, which of course would have happened over the last couple of years, sometimes we made them longer, over 10 minutes, but then it needed to spread out over two days. So there's pros and cons for all the different ways of doing parent-teacher conferences or meetings or whatever you want to call them. But there are definitely ways I feel that we can be more effective in that short amount of time. So whatever way you it is that you do it at your school, hopefully these little tips now I've got six written down but you know me guys mathematics is not my strong point so I say six tips or six ideas but it could be seven it could be four it could be 12 we'll just see what happens over this podcast and where it takes us but I have six written down that I wanted to share with you because we've recently had these teaching and learning conferences with our students or we call them learning reviews in the primary school they're called conferences with the parents and the students there now the way it happens here the parents are sent an online Kind of booking system, I suppose you'd call it, or there's like a sign-up sheet where they have a list of all of the teachers, and it's it's all done through this system called Schools Buddy. And so they will pick and choose which teachers they want to see over the day. Now, of course, if they have lots of time, they may be able to see all of the teachers, but usually, each of the parents has a specific window of a couple of hours that they're allowed to book slots in. So that's to make sure that everyone has a chance to see those teachers. So that's the way it starts off. Here is the teachers send out these. I suppose you'd have to call it a form a booking form it's a system I guess and the parents will then pick and choose the slots now we as teachers are told to book off certain slots for breaks uh, for our lunch and for a tea break all of those type of things and as I say in the last couple of years these have been run through Google Meet and it's been very very good actually in fact I think it's probably better online because the parents are not running around from room to room trying to find the teacher and what it means is that when the five minutes are up you can really just say I'm really sorry the time is up have someone waiting to come in and then they log off and then the next person comes in whereas in person that can be a little bit more kind of awkward so at the end of the five minutes you're kind of trying to move the parent out and say oh okay yeah and they're in mid conversation you don't want to cut them off you don't want to be rude so it was a little bit harder so for me personally I think the online version works really really well but of course It is nice to meet the parents face to face every now and again and see them and talk to them in person. So I don't think there's any perfect system here. I think we just have to work with what we've got. But I do think we can make the time very efficient by being very specific with what we talk to parents about. So here are my kind of six top tips or ideas for an effective parent teacher meeting. So number one is I always start with speaking directly to the students and I ask them a couple of questions to begin. Now, they're usually very short, quick questions, something like, "Okay, so can you tell me what your experience has been in this class so far? What are you enjoying the most about the Spanish lesson? What activities are helping your learning? What do you think about the amount of homework that you're getting? Do you feel like you're being appropriately challenged? What parts of the course are you particularly enjoying? Is there a book we've read that you've really liked? Anything like that, just one or two of those questions to get the students talking. And if they're that open, you are going away from a yes, no answer. So rather than say, do you like the class? You're asking them, what aspects do you feel help you the most? What are the learning activities that help you the most? And then you'll get some insight from them too. And then I turn to the parents and then I'll just say something like, does you know, John or Michelle or whoever it is in front of me ever talk about Spanish at home. And usually they'll say, oh, yes, you know, like they're always saying that it's such a wonderful class. And well, actually, no, that's not the truth. Sometimes they'll say that often with the younger students as they get older. My feeling is. Teenagers speak a little bit less to their parents about school and the things that are going on. And so often as they get older, and if I ask that same question near 10 or 11 to the parents, oh, does Michael ever speak about Spanish at home? You say, no, he never talks about anything, never hear anything from him, does nothing. It's impossible. I can't get a word out of him. So that's often what happens. Now, that's no reflection on you. That can just be that. After a long day at school, the 15-year-old does not want to answer that question, how was school, and tell their parents about what they're learning in Spanish class. But you never know, some of the younger ones, the years seven and eight, so age 11, 12, they may still be very enthusiastic and talk about that story you did or the character that you built and light up when they say it. And I shared in an episode previously about contact with the language or what many people called homework and I talked about the fact that I ask students to translate the story into their mother tongue with their parents particularly as beginners in year seven or eight so these are age kind of 11 12 years old and often they will bring this up in the parent teacher meeting the parent will say I was amazed he could read this whole story and translate it into Turkish for me it was incredible things like that may come up which is really nice so that's the first little point and that's the first part number two is Talk about language acquisition and comprehensible input. So don't dumb it down, just really speak about it, not in a kind of a condescending, patronizing way, but When something comes up and you're talking to the student about you'd like them to read more or listen more in class, I often back that up with a little bit of research or just a little nod to the 40 years of research we have on implicit knowledge and how languages are acquired. So, for example, I'll say things like, well, yeah, it's interesting that you mention about listening in class, John, because... You're right. And as you know, we acquire languages naturally by listening and reading to messages that we understand. So, of course, if you're not listening or you're chatting away to your friend during class or you're drawing or you're on your computer, well, you're not really listening then because the research would show us that we can't really do two things at once. We can't be drawing and reading and listening at the same time efficiently. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to do these things at the same time. So we know that that's how languages are acquired. So that's what you need to do. And you can just use that sentence. We know that that's how languages are acquired through reading and listening. So this is where you need to put your emphasis. And just by that little thing, you are showing that you as a professional understand your craft. You understand how languages are acquired and maybe it'll be new to the parents, too. They may kind of think, oh, I thought language was acquired or learned. They'll probably use the phrase, I thought languages were learned by lots of practice and drills and verb tables and grammar exercise and fill the gaps. And they may say anything like this. And you need to be able to back that up and say, well, actually, there are different things. So language learning is learning about the language, the mechanics of the language, how it fits together, how it works. And of course, there's some value in that explicit knowledge. Of course there is. But really, we acquire language. So that's us being able to speak it fluently and proficiently, naturally by listening and reading that's we need loads of inputs so that we can then start to start to output so it's it's totally okay that Michelle is not really saying that much yet in Spanish class because you know she's still building that system in her head all of these conversations can happen with the parents and be confident in your knowledge to say that and be confident to say This is how languages are acquired. Now, of course, we learn about the language as well and the culture, but really the acquisition process is really happening in those 45, 50 minutes in class when you're reading and listening. So they're the times we really need you to pay attention. So talk a little bit about CI what it is, but in a natural way, you know, don't just open the Bering teacher meeting by going, hello, Mr. Banana and hello, Mrs. Orange. Well, now, of course, I need to start by telling you what language acquisition is. No, you'll have to let it come up a little bit naturally. So if they mention reading or listening, you can drop that sentence in. That is how we acquire languages naturally. So that's where we need to really think about. So that would be the second thing. Now, point number three would be to be really positive in what you are saying about their child and the student, even if you feel like there's very little positive things to say. Find some positivity. Maybe it's something recent that happened in class. Maybe it was an insightful question. Maybe it was a piece of homework. Maybe it's just them getting to class on time. Maybe it's them being organized. Maybe it's them always having a pen, whatever. But find something positive to frame it, say, with some positivity. You know, I really like this semester. You've worked hard and making sure you always have your materials. You're always organized when you come in. And that's really helping you to acquire the language and then move on to maybe what needs to be said. Now, the other thing that goes along with being positive is no surprises. This is a really key thing. You do not want any major surprises to be dropped on the parent's lap or the student's lap during this parent-teacher meeting. If you have not contacted them by email or in some form in advance to say that their child is doing no homework or is never on time for class or is always disrupting others, you don't want to just drop that in in the meeting. So I would always try and have no major surprises. Like you can say little things that are, you know, you would like improvements on. But you wouldn't want to drop something big like, well, you know, you your daughter hasn't added in anything on time for this whole semester. That is a major surprise to a parent. say, "Well, why didn't you let me know this earlier? So think about that and try not to have any major surprises. That's a really key one. Now on to the next one, which I think is number four. I am keeping on track of my numbers today. Very proud of myself. Number four is having really specific data that you can show and bring up that will support what you are trying to say. So one of the best things for this is using Duolingo. Duolingo for schools is free and it will create leaderboards and show you how much the students are doing at home or in class, how many points they've got, how many days active they've been and many other systems do this. So Quizlet, if you use that, also tracks how often that they're doing any of these exercises online. If you are a Spanish teacher and you use the Senor Woolley videos, for example, that you can see how many points they've done at home and online. Anything like that, that you have really specific data and actually the Duolingo one, I personally find really useful, particularly for the first couple of years of language acquisition. And then the next one that I would use in terms of data, especially when they're older, is my marathon of reading. So I've explained this to you before when I ask students to choose their own novels at the beginning of class and they read them and they're trying to get to 26 by the end of the year, which is really difficult because a marathon is difficult. And I have a leaderboard for that, not necessarily a leaderboard, but when they have finished reading, they have to write a comment about that book on our shared Excel spreadsheet type thing, a Google Sheet we use. So by opening this up and having it in front of me during the meeting, I can see that Kira has already read six novels this semester, which is incredibly impressive. And of course, you don't want to compare to others. You don't want to say, oh, that's more than anybody else in the class or, oh, that's way less than everyone else in the class. You are talking about that student. You don't need to make comparisons to other students and what they're doing, you just need to use the data you have about that student that is much more powerful, especially in a short little meeting. You could give them loads of fantastic feedback. And then if you compare them to others and they say you'd end up being in the middle of your class, they may go out of there feeling like they're not doing things well at all. Whereas they could be doing loads of fantastic stuff, but they're still in the middle of the class because we learn and acquire languages at different pace. It doesn't mean that that student is not trying their best, you know, so be careful of comparisons. So using data to back up what you say, I usually have my Duolingo leaderboard in front of me and I'll have the reading marathon and another screen for the older students in particular. And I'll say to the student, Okay, so how many days active do you think you've been on Duolingo since the start of the year? And then they'll go all sheepish and be like, uh, I don't know, um like five. And then you can go, hmm, yeah, actually it's one. So you've been on this one day in the last four months now. Is that something do you feel like you could work on a little bit just to have more contact with the language, more reading and listening? Because we know that's how we acquire languages, that type of sentence. And then the parents will look and be like, one day, come on, you can do more than that. And then you can challenge them for something really specific, say, try and do five minutes per day. What what would be a good time? When would work for you? Oh, well, typically my mum drops me off in school and I'm usually in the car for 20 minutes with her. So could you do it then? Yeah, that would work. Or another student, oh, I always get the bus to school. So could you do it just on the walk to the bus or maybe as you're waiting for the bus? Oh, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. And you can see that this has already led me on to point number five, which is being really specific with the goals as you come to a close of your five or ten minute meeting, we want to be really specific with what we want the students to do. And usually I'll always have one goal for them that I want them to do within class and something else outside class and they write it down to be accountable for it do they actually action this in the future? I don't know. Some of them do for a little while, some of them don't. But at least, you know, you're giving them something specific. So what I'll do is I'll say something like about that Duolingo, for example, that is usually a good goal for outside class. Five minutes a day or maybe it's just 15 minutes at the weekend or something if you feel like that's achievable for you. And then I say, well, what day would work the best for you? And say, oh, well, I have football on Tuesday and I have dancing on a Thursday. So usually a Wednesday would probably work. So, okay, write down Wednesday, five minutes of Duolingo at home and Spanish. Then within class, what do you think you could do more of? well, I suppose I don't really put my hand up much or ask many questions. You say, yeah, exactly. That would be fantastic. If you would try and make a goal of asking two questions in every class, that would be wonderful. Or, you know, if you're not comfortable with that yet and you just want to keep listening intently until you're ready, that's fine too. But really, the intent, listening and reading is the key part of the acquisition process. Again, you're repeating those things once again to show them where the emphasis should lie. So those specific goals is really the fifth point that is incredibly important. Very, very specific. And then usually I get them to write down numbers. So if they say something like I'm going to read more, I'm going to watch a Spanish movie on Netflix, I'll say, please write down a number for that. So, for example, you know, I'm going to read four pages of my novel each night or I'm going to read one article to do with sports in Spain every morning on a Thursday. Or I am going to watch one episode of a Spanish series on Netflix every Saturday, something with a number because now it becomes specific, measurable, achievable and really something that they can do. So that's really important. Now, to go to our last piece of really important information in a parent teacher meeting that I feel and I always try and end with this is talk about the importance of reading. If the only thing that the parent and their son or daughter take away from this meeting is the importance of reading, then you have one in your little five or 10 minute parent teacher meeting. Super important. So I always end with something like asking the student, how much reading are you doing in Spanish at home? And they'll usually say, oh, yeah, I read a little bit or now and again, or sometimes I read something on my phone. This is for all ages. So all levels, is particularly, you know, okay in the first year, it would be about halfway through the year, they start reading their own little graded novels, but they can still be reading through using Duolingo, for example, if they're total beginners. But I'll use that phrase, how much are you reading? And then say, okay we know that reading is the absolute key to unlocking everything, not just our Spanish, but the world, everything we do. Reading is power, leer is poder. So what can you do with reading? challenge yourself for that. How could you read a bit more? I think you could take home one of my Spanish novels here in the in the library and you could just read for 5 minutes before bedtime every evening. Or if you don't want to do that, you could just read at the weekend on a Sunday afternoon for 15 minutes. That will make an enormous difference to your acquisition journey, to your vocabulary, to the phrases used, to your spelling, to your understanding, everything improves with reading. And then really try and convince them of that. And you know what? If they don't take home a book and they don't read anymore, at least you've said that sentence. And their mum or dad or the guardian, whoever's there is listening to that and is seeing too, OK, reading is really important. And that goes home with them. And the student is also thinking, all right, reading is really important. And you may have to hammer on and repeat that mantra every day, which is what I have to do. And I feel like I'm, that's all I repeat is leer es poder, reading is power. Even today, I was giving feedback to my year 12s. So these are aged 16, 17 penultimate year of high school and one student saying, yeah, I know, I need to read more. That is the key, isn't it? And I was like, yeah. And, you know, I've been saying this to him for ages, but maybe now he will actually take home a novel and start to read it or he will, you know, download a Spanish news app and just read a little bit about skateboarding, which he loves every morning for two minutes. That's great. That's all you're trying to get through to them is the importance of reading. So always end with that mantra. What are you reading at home? Are you reading? And how could you read a little bit more? Yes, I do have books I can give you. Yes, I do have websites I can share with you. Yes, I do have blogs I can share with you and have a bank of resources of reading that they can be doing that you can just give to them. And if you're thinking, oh, I don't have things they could read. Think about all the activities you've ever done with your beginner students over the years or things they've written. Now think of your really good students and the ones that have written stuff in the past and you may have it in a Google Doc that they shared with you. Go find it, adjust it ever so slightly and there's a reading for the students. And you don't need to do all the work yourself. There's loads of stuff out there already. But create a Google Doc, a bank of resources of things they can read. But it's much, much better if it can be physical reading of paper, like a physical book rather than using a screen because the screen distracts us and we'll end up doing other things. The research shows that quite clearly. Kindle, slightly different. If it's downloaded on a Kindle, yes, this can be very beneficial too. So there you go. There are my six little tips. I think I stayed to six as well, even though on my screen in front of me is so confusing because I start at number two and go to number five because number one just came to me as I was talking. There you go. That's the inside the mind of the podcaster. So once again, I just want to say a massive merci Danke schön. Thank you well. Dziękuję. Ger Mila Mahagov to all of the fantastic motivated classroom listeners and to all of you who support the podcast on Patreon. If you are a patron of the podcast, thank you so much. And I appreciate every coffee and bag of crisps that you get me. If you feel like you would get me a coffee once a month or a bag of crisps to say thank you for these episodes every week, if you bumped into me, said, you know what, Liam, I'd buy you a coffee, then please go ahead and do that. That would be wonderful. And if you're not in a financial position to do that, then no problem whatsoever. Keep listening for free. Keep sharing it with everyone. There's no bother with that at all. We have some really exciting collaborations and interviews coming up in the podcast in the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for those. I've got some fantastic people on to speak to me. I'm super excited to learn from them and hear what they have to say. Now, I also have a question and answer episode coming up simply because I cannot respond to all the emails <laughs> I'm just being honest I try my best everybody to get back to you within 24 hours but I know I'm not great at that and some people are waiting two or three days for a response. so my apologies I do try my best but sometimes it's just so many emails it's hard so actually I'm just like I'm going to do a Q&A episode because so many of these are wonderful questions that need to be addressed for everyone on the podcast so if you do have burning questions about language acquisition teaching whatever it may be send me an email a tweet or an, what do you call it on Instagram a DM, is that what it's called? Yes. Or a message on Facebook, and I will try to address it. So thank you so much. Remember today, our Irish word for the day was Nó be a conch. Don't be talking, don't be speaking, as we say in Ireland. But of course, we want you to talk about the podcast and spread that out to everybody. Guramila Mahagav, I guess, The Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter, and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow the Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.